Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news meshed together in new ways, which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the hidden dangers of healthcare. And thank you to our sponsor, Medigy. You can find them at medigy.com. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and on our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 14 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. You ready to talk about the dangers? This feels like it should be a Halloween episode, not a January, but uh, you know, it should be fun. Well, I think January weather is pretty scary, so maybe that's how it applies. <laughs> This is the best weather in Vegas, but it's true. If I was in Toronto, I'd hate it. <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's scary weather this time of year. But no, I'm excited. This should be a fun episode. You know, we lo- I like this sort of buy-sell kind of format. So we've got a few topics to talk about today all around the idea around hidden dangers. So let's just jump right in. Um, this was right. something you and I talked about, John. Uh, you know, EHR vendor consolidation is a threat to healthcare stability. Are you... Do you agree with this, or do you are you are you sort of against this? Well, you know, I have to say, healthcare stability is a challenging one, especially because I think healthcare has proven so resilient. But after an experience I've had the past couple of weeks with a doctor friend of mine, I'm buying this because EHR vendor consolidation is causing some crazy dynamics for medical practices who want to even look at something better. Like in one case, he's been using this legacy practice management system and he has an EHR that's pretty old as well. And he's bought them separately. So, you know, that's its own unique challenge. And he's looking at what other EHRs, what other PMs should he be purchasing? And he asked me for some help. And as I thought about it, I'm like, man, there's some really interesting opportunities. And then I'm like, oh wait, yeah, they were acquired do you really want to go in with a vendor that was just acquired and the roadmap is uncertain? That's causing some major instability for him as a medical practice. And I think it's quite frankly, it's quite scary. And we've seen it happen with a lot. And and at some point, those vendors have to say, no, enough is enough. We can't support five different EHRs or three different EHRs under the same pop, under the same company. So I think that's going to come to a head and it's going to cause some major trouble and largely for small practices, probably more so than the hospitals and health systems. That's interesting. You know, I've kind of taken the opposite view of this one. Uh, I do think, you know, there is definitely some EHR vendor consolidation going on. So I think you and I both agree that that's happening. Uh, yeah. But in terms of whether it's a threat to healthcare stability, I actually don't see it that way for this one reason. I think that in healthcare, uh, we have maybe a false assumption that we're going to be on a same system for many, 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 many years. I mean, I, I just think of any software in any industry, there's a there's a natural cycle to it, whether it's five years or seven years. And I think we're kind of in that sort of five to seven year cycle. And I think people are going to be naturally looking to switch to an EHR, an EHR, a different EHR vendor, anyways. And so I don't think EHR vendor consolidation is causing more instability. I just think it's sort of an excuse that some people will use to go, "Hey, look, I'm, 
my vendor is now gone or it's been it's been uh, swallowed up by this other one i'm going to take this opportunity to kind of look for a new one anyway uh, that's better suited a bit more tuned to what i'm going to do and so I'm not sure it's going to add any instability to healthcare or it's even going to cause any more uh, heartache in terms of e economics. I just think it maybe spurs their move to a new EHR that was going to happen anyways. Yeah, but you're kind of highlighting my point. These people are going to be required to switch and it's natural. You know, I, I could imagine EHR vendors creating a, a seven-year uh, cycle that said, hey, anyone that's been on EHR seven years or more, that's our target because they may be looking to, to change. That's an interesting way to think about it. But when they go to try to change, they're going to look at this consolidation and they're say, where's it even going? And there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. And they're probably, in, you know, in many cases, are going to select another EHR vendor. And then that's going to get sunsetted. So then they have to switch again. And yeah, it's going to create you know, a lot of instability, I think, as they change. And then as they get forced to change again, as it consolidates more, and it, you know the reality of consolidation is they have to shut down certain EHRs. So uh, I don't know. I think it's a it's a hard time for a practice that's looking at EHR and happy with the one they have and is afraid for the future of that EHR. I, I like it when you and I disagree. I mean, I look at it and go, hey, this. I think this just becomes a criteria of the new selection. I think they look at it and go, yeah, you know what? One of the things I'm going to have to take into consideration is choosing an EHR that's going to be around. So, uh, you know, good or bad, I think a lot of people are going to choose the larger ones uh, because they're going to have the stability and the longevity. So you're right. I mean, you're, if I choose a smaller one, there's a danger and a risk that it's going to go away and I'm going to have to switch even sooner than I thought. Uh, but I think that's factoring into some of the decisions that people are making. So I'm just not sure about whether it's a threat to stability. Uh, I think it's a little bit of heartache, and uh, but I think it's something that's naturally happening just because EHRs now have been around for long enough where people are going, yeah, I kind of know what I want, and I'm going to move to that. Yeah, well, maybe what will happen is we'll see enough consolidation. And, you know, what happens when a lot of the consolidation happens is they stop investing in the product because they already kind of own a certain part of the market share. And so they stop investing in innovation. And maybe with enough consolidation, that will create an opportunity for an entrepreneur to come along and really destabilize the EHR market and actually bring another product, which if they did right now, that, that's hard to even imagine. But if there was enough consolidation and and they didn't continue to innovate, that would present an opportunity for a, an entrepreneur to come in and do something. Oh, you could be very right. Could be, and, but I look at it as, you know, if you look at the ERP market, right? Like how many times have we heard someone's going to disrupt SAP, right? And and they're still here and they're still the dominant player. <laughs> the EHR market seems to be mirroring that uh, with, a, with a few players like the Cerners and the Apex and, and the eClinical Works and so forth, you know, all scripts and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I'm hopeful, and and, and you're right. I mean, I, you know, it would be nice to see some disruption happen, but I think we're a few years away from that. But let's move on to the next one, John. You know, the, the next one I think is going to be pretty interesting. Are you buying or selling old Windows machines are healthcare's greatest security risk? You know, uh, th this is a topical one because Windows 7 just uh, – finally went out of support, at least the natural support. You can buy extra support if you want for your Windows 7 machines. But the reality is that so many healthcare organizations are not taking that into account. So that means that they're not getting the updates. And if they don't get the updates, that is a massive HIPAA risk. 
And I think there's a lot of people sitting there saying, eh, they won't catch me or, eh, you know, what's OCR going to do? And the answer is they're going to find you and they're going to put a remediation plan in place. And that's going to be a big problem. So, yeah, I'm buying that this is a, a massive security risk uh, that you know, is going to be a problem for so many healthcare organizations. What's interesting is we've seen this before with Windows XP. Now we're seeing it with Windows 7. We saw it with Windows Server. SQL Server is coming up, I believe, if I remember right. So, you know, the, the wave of all of these things is a problem. And then to accentuate this problem that makes it even a greater risk and why, you know, I'm buying that it's the greatest security risk is the fact that many medical devices still need these old Windows machines. I remember, I think it was a CISO or a CIO that said, here was our mitigation plan. We put it on a separate network that only it was attached to. And we allowed it to connect to, to the medical device because we absolutely had to have this medical device. And that was all we could do. And that's a massive risk. And I think we're seeing that across a lot of healthcare. And at least that one was taking a proactive uh, approach to trying to segment it on the network and do some things to mitigate the risk. I think a lot of them are saying, hey, well, it is what it is, and we'll just have to deal with it. And that's a scary situation. You know, I, I definitely agree with you that this is a risk. Uh, I'm just not sure I agree with the statement that it's the greatest security risk to healthcare. But but to your point, there's probably a lot of old windows hidden and buried in applications that people don't realize are based on windows, right? Like you see everything from the kiosks where people uh, type in their registration information. Uh, maybe you have a legacy one and it may be based on wi old Windows 7, right? But you never see it because it's just running and you got this little nice pretty screen. So I think there's definitely some dangers here, some hidden dangers that people need to be aware of. But in terms of the greatest security risk, though, I've got to go back to the human being. I mean, there is so much risk in terms of people clicking on the wrong link and downloading malware or going to the wrong website. And, and these people who are, are perpetrating these emails and things, they're just getting so sophisticated, right? They, they actually send you an email from your boss with, an e with a link that looks like a link that they would send. And when you click it, of course, it'll take over your machine. And I think that that is still by far the greatest security risk because they're, A, we're human beings. Uh, and B, you know, just in terms of the education of how sophisticated these attacks are getting, it just isn't getting out there. So I still look at the human being being the greatest security risk in healthcare. Yeah, you, you, yeah that's interesting. You, you make a good point. Uh, I think I might have to give you this one uh, because you're right. Humans are, are fallible. And, you know, we're seeing this in the hacker world and, and the malware world that they're not exploiting the technology in the same way that they were in the past but they are exploiting the humans and uh yeah i think i might give, give you this one <laughs> you win <laughs> <laughs> all right i won one no but you're absolutely right i think these people who are you know doing this especially in terms of ransomware and so forth they're getting more and more into social engineering as opposed to technology right like it's no longer about just the vulnerability in the os or just the vulnerability in the hardware it's now around how do I socially engineer something that you're going to click on or something that you're going to do? You're going to give me your password, right? Uh, you know, you, you see that in your in your uh, you know your private accounts too. Like, oh, hey, we've got a, a problem with your iTunes. Please reset your password. Click this and reset your password, right? And then you look at it and you go, it looks like it's from Apple, and and you click on it, of course, and you've just given away your password. <laughs> and and to me, that's social engineering. And so that's the obviously, I think that's the biggest danger. And, and they're just getting better at this, which is the scary part. 
Yeah, and if we're honest, they're both massive. But yeah, you're right. People is even more is a more of a problem and a more challenging problem to fix as well. Yeah, that's for sure. Hey, if you're just tuning in, this is Colin Hung and John Lin. We're talking about hidden dangers in healthcare. Yeah, and we want to thank our sponsor of this episode. It's Medigy. You can find them at medigy.com. For those not familiar with Medigy, they're surfacing the world's most useful peer-reviewed digital health solutions and medical devices. Honestly, they have one of the most sophisticated approaches and really detailed approaches to how to rank and rate digital health solutions and medical devices that are really based on standards and based on this whole approach of peers rating these various solutions which I think is needed because we've seen an explosion of solutions and medical devices and how do we know what's real and what's Memorex, if you will. And so, you know, that's what Medigy is working on. So check out all the details, take part in the growing community at Medigy.com. All right, John, thank you for that. All right, let's move on to the next one, which I'm really excited about this one, actually. Uh, John, are you buying or selling? that healthcare will fall further behind because of our inability to hire IT talent. I think you're just excited about the next one because you won the last one. So uh, no. <laughs> that may be true. That may be true. I'm on a win streak. I, give me, give me that. I'm on a one game win streak here. <laughs> that is fair. No, it's an interesting question. And you know, healthcare's had this challenge for quite a while and there's no way that healthcare can pay and offer the perks that many of these IT companies are offering. It's just not in their budgets, which is crazy to think about because when you think about how much healthcare pays for some of the technology, and yet it's still behind many of the major companies. So yeah, I'm actually buying this, that they will have a challenge in you know, being able to provide the solutions and provide the types of services that patients want and are really, quite frankly, demanding in many cases because they are unable to hire the IT talent that has it. I think it's particularly true in the data science area. You know, I think programmer-wise, you can make some cases, although that's even challenging as well. But I think in the data science and the machine learning and the AI, I think those areas are going to be extremely hard for healthcare to get the qualified people needed to really take it where it could go. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely buying that uh, healthcare is gonna have some challenges recruiting the talent, as compelling as it is to come to healthcare. I mean, I remember the first time I got my first healthcare job, I would literally go to people and say, how cool would it be if something I did helped save someone's life? And uh, you know, that's a pretty compelling argument, but you know, 200,000 and 20% of your time working on something else and a gym and a chef and all those things are pretty compelling as well. <laughs> well, I think uh, this one, John, is going to be a tie because I'm buying it along with you, uh, but not quite for the same reason. You know, I, I think that healthcare will fall further behind uh, and that they won't be able to hire the talent. And I think, though, what it'll mean is that they're actually going to rely more on third parties. Um, so, and what I mean by that is, you know, because healthcare organizations aren't going to be able to pay top dollar, what's going to happen is that they're going to have to outsource. They're going to have to adopt off-the-shelf tools. They're not going to be able to go build their own app anymore. They're actually going to have to buy something and maybe adapt it slightly or configure it to, to work in their environment. 
And I actually think this is a good thing. So I think in terms of creativity, innovation, I think there is a danger where we're going to fall behind. But I'm actually wondering whether or not this is good or bad. Because I think if we don't have the talent inside healthcare to build the only our customized apps, then we'll be forced to adopt stuff off the shelf. And I think actually that might be a good thing because then you get more standards, you get more play. Uh, you know, I, anyway, that's kind of the way I was looking at this. But I do agree with you that, you know, the inability to hire IT talent is going to be a crunch because right now there's a lot of legacy stuff that needs to be, you know, supported. And when we're not able to bring in the talent to support it, that's going to cause a big strain and a big risk for these big IT shops. Yeah, and the off-the-shelf off discussion is an interesting one. Another angle that may go against both of our predictions is the idea that many of the tech billionaires get into healthcare. And my theory behind this, and you know, I'm not fully sure if this is true, but once you're a billionaire and you make all this money, even multimillionaire, you know, six-figure, you know, millionaire, $100 million, there's one thing that you can't buy. And that's your health. And yet many of these billionaires try to, and we saw it, right? The former Apple CEO, he got into healthcare. The Oracle CEO and founder into healthcare. And you know, my theory is they're coming into healthcare because they're trying to buy their health. And you know, I don't think many of them have been all that successful. But if they come they may bring much of the talent with them as a startup company, as you know, a mission-driven company that could be different with a bunch of people who maybe are already financially set. And so that salary isn't as interesting to them, but making a real impact on healthcare could be. That's the only thing that may be going against us. Well, and actually you bring up a good point there, John, that you know, maybe you know, IT in healthcare becomes a calling. Like maybe and then, you know, down the road, maybe it isn't about the foosball table and the gym and the, the you know, the copious amounts of the stock options, you know, that you really do have to find people who are IT skilled in IT and have this altruistic streak or the streak who, you know, they really do want to make a difference in the world. Like we're seeing it already in other places, right? We're talking, when you look at sort of this, this crop of, people who are graduating today they're much more aware and much more willing to sacrifice salary to go and work for a purpose-driven organization that's you know fighting climate change or you know fighting uh poverty and and you know and so there's it's almost like they've now moved away from the materialistic and are moving more into something that's basically feeding their soul i wonder if it and healthcare might fall into that category or maybe we might wise up and kind of go you know what Let's go after that kind of a person, uh, you know, who just sees healthcare as some people do, as a calling, uh, as you did when you first started. Yeah, I mean, I was going to mention you actually, your passion for healthcare, and yeah, so that's yeah. funny you mentioned me. Irony. <laughs> there you go. That's how it is. That's why we work well together, John. That's why we work well together. All right, let's get to the last one uh, that we talked about before we started, which caused a little bit of uh, a controversy between the two of us, but. This is the statement, AI will do more harm than good in healthcare. Are you buying that or selling that? I'm selling that. I, I, I am a big proponent of AI and the potential for AI in healthcare and what it will do. Uh, I, I think it's gonna do a ton of good. Are there risks? Absolutely. 
there's definitely risk, but I think they're not the risk that most people that are prognosticating the AI machines taking over healthcare or whatever. I don't think those are the risks. And I think there are ethical questions that we're going to have to address. And I think there are uh, things that we uh, issues with AI that we're going to have to deal with. But I just like in my heart of hearts, I can't imagine that it's going to do more harm than good because the potential for good of what it can do in healthcare is so great. I have to bet on that. That's interesting, John, because I, I will, I am going to actually buy this, but with a qualifier. So I think health, AI will actually do more harm than good in healthcare in the short term. And the reason why I say that is twofold. One, I think that right now what we are calling ai is really not truly ai it's pattern recognition it's some very basic algorithms and where i look at those and where i get worried is that we're starting to hear more and more stories where hey you know those uh, data sets that that algorithm was trained on or that algorithm was built on yeah well guess what that was just based on a thousand people who all happen to be male caucasian and between the ages of 45 and 50. Right, like, and you're gonna base on entire <laughs> AI, right? Like, <laughs> maybe help you, John. Yeah. But it won't help me. Dang right? it. <laughs> but, but you know where I'm going with this is that you know, you know, much like how medicines were made long ago, where they were just based on testing of you know one type of uh, or one profile. Like, we're not guaranteed that that's actually gonna be valid for everybody. And I worry about that because, unlike a clinical trial where it's actually published, there is no uh, documentation uh, around how this AI was actually built. You have to go digging for it. And so I think in the short term, there's the potential where the harm could be more than the good. Uh, and I think this is a very, very hidden, like just to go with the subject of our of our talk this week. It, to me, this is very, very hidden. There is no place where you can go to find this out except for asking the question of the person who wrote the algorithm. And funny enough, most of the companies that produce these tools probably have no idea who built that algorithm because they're buying it from someone else, right? Um, so I think that that's one side of it about it causing more harm in the short term. I also think from a marketing standpoint, we've put too much focus on AI powered anything. And then people are buying tools simply because, oh, it has to be AI and we have to have it. And it'll, it'll reduce the, the, uh, the, the workload on people and we need this you know, chatbot and we need that. And I think there's just maybe a little bit too much exuberance around AI. And in the short term, I think that's taking away dollars and money from uh, potentially more uh, I guess called worthy projects. So I'm buying this in the short term that actually AI will cause a little bit more harm than good. And I'm not so convinced that that's what really happens in the market. Uh, you know, it's nice that marketers want to flash AI on their booth at HIMSS or on their website and, you know, kind of say we're doing AI, which to your point, you know, is really machine learning and analytics. But the, when I talk to the CIOs and the purchasing people throughout healthcare organizations, they're not wowed by it. They they want to get to the nuts and bolts of what's really happening. So I'm, I'm, you know that doesn't really concern me. Your point about kind of discrimination uh, based on gender or even ethnicity or other factors, uh, and that the data doesn't represent those things is a risk. And so it's a, it's definitely a great point to bring up. But my feeling is that it is something that we're aware of and that many people are going to work towards and that I think we can solve that problem, as, especially as the data becomes much larger and more spread across these certain demographics. 
And I think that that data will end up solving that problem. It is in the short term a challenge, but I, I have confidence that really smart people are going to work on that and improve it, and we're going to see really good results from it. I think we just created a new uh, company, uh, John. We need to like create a company that basically looks at a data set and comes up with a score of like a diversity score, right? So yeah. it'll score it'll score diversity based on gender, race, age, uh, you know, geolocations, and say, you know what? Based on this data set, this is your score across these factors. And what you know, maybe what you need to do as a as a vendor or as a person who creates these algorithms, you need to make sure that your you know the, the data sets that you get you know add up to a certain number or something. But but I, I hear where you're going with that. I think you know it is something that people are becoming more and more aware of. I just think, however, that right now there's such a scarcity of good data that we all tend to use the same data sets. Again, much like the medication industry did this years ago, right? They all used the same <laughs> the same specimens to do their testing on. It wasn't until later that they realized, hey, this wasn't the best way to build and make uh, medications that they adopted new ways. So I'm hoping that it will change over time. That's why I put the qualifier to say, I think in the short term, you know, AI will cause a little bit more harm. But like you, I am hopeful that it in the long term will work out and will make a big difference in healthcare. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I think there will be some people who get it drastically wrong, and those will make some headlines that probably won't represent the entire industry, but will catch a lot of attention and provide, uh, you know, some people a lot of fear around what could happen. And that's an appropriate fear, but that fear could drive a lot of change. As far as the business, you know, maybe our sponsor, Medigy, should add that to their uh, rankings and ratings. You know, how diverse is your efforts to provide a product? How diverse is your data? <laughs> that could be a new ranking factor for them. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We tied it all together today, John. Well, listen, thank you to all of you who tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. Find out more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening and have a great week.